At the time that the letter to the churches in Revelation was written, through the Lycus Valley, there were three prominent cities. One was the city of Laodicea, and about 10 miles to the south of Laodicea, through that Lycus River Valley, was the city of Hierapolis and the city of Colossae. And the city of the Colossae was the other direction. Hierapolis was the other direction. Laodicea right in the middle. You got mountain ranges all around. It was a really cool area. And through Laodicea were three major trade routes for the region. And so of the three cities through the Lycus River Valley, Laodicea was the most significant and prominent. And in Laodicea was a church that believed she was as significant as the city. And Jesus had a message for this church. And I want us to read this message. But before we read the message that Jesus had for the church, I want us to hear and to envision what the church in Laodicea heard and was to envision about Jesus. Because Jesus wanted the church at Laodicea to see something about him before they listened to what he had to say to them. And we need to see that same thing because this message to this church is the most difficult message to all the churches. Of the seven that we've looked at, this is the most challenging. And it would be really good for us because God wants to speak to us today to make sure that we get a clear understanding of who Jesus wants us to see that he is so that we're in the best possible position to hear what he has to say because this is not an easy message. So let's read together in Revelation chapter 3 and we're going to read verse 14 to see what Jesus is showing of himself so that we might see and be in a good position to hear what he has to say. And this is what the passage says. To the messenger, to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write, The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning or the source of the creation of God, says this. So Jesus wants them to see that he is the Amen. The faithful and true witness, the source or the beginning of all of creation. They needed to grasp that Jesus was saying to them that he is the one who defines what is, determines what will be, and understands exactly what is supposed to be in the creation that he crafted himself. When Jesus says that he is the amen, he is saying he is definitive. He is the one who speaks about reality and what he says is actually what is about reality. When you hear or see the word amen in the Bible, you'll see it several times used of Jesus in the New Testament, in the Gospels. You'll see that Jesus is saying this is how it is. This is what is true. This is what is definitive. And Jesus is now saying that he is the one who is definitive. 
So that when he says something about something or someone, what he says is right. That's why he is the faithful and true witness. When he gives testimony about something or someone, his testimony is accurate and describes what really is. When he says he's the source of all of creation, it means that everything that's been created finds its purpose in him. That your purpose for your life originates in Jesus Christ. He is simply wanting the church to realize that everything they're supposed to be originates in him. And that if he says something about them, it is definitive and represents reality. If he understands who they are and what they're supposed to be because he is the one who fashioned them and made them and has the corner on who they are supposed to be, they should listen to him. He is the amen. He is the faithful and true witness. And what he is about to say to the church should be understood as definitive, true, and trustworthy. Are you ready to listen? This is what he says, verse 15. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. Oh, that you were cold or hot. Thus, because you are lukewarm and you are not hot nor cold, I'm about to vomit you out of my mouth. Now that word picture right there is not real good. Pretty clear we're not dealing with something that's favorable. And I suspect that a number of you have heard that phrase, because you are not cold or hot, but lukewarm, I will spit you, spew you, vomit you out of my mouth. And I want you to just walk through that with me on the basis of what the text simply says. And if you've heard this before, this passage talked about, I'd like you to maybe consider that today we should let the text convey to us what is intended for us to understand. So try not to lean too hard on the fact that maybe you've already heard this talked about. And let's just let the text speak fresh to us. Let's hear what Jesus has to say. He says to the church at Laodicea, you are neither cold nor hot. He doesn't say what he means by cold or hot. He just says they're not that. And he says that he really wishes they were either cold or hot. So being cold or hot is the preferable state for the church in Laodicea. Jesus' opinion about the church is, I wish that you were cold or hot. But here's what you are. You're lukewarm. And what you are right now makes me sick. And I would rather you be cold or hot. So if we just think about what the text is conveying here, Jesus is saying what you are right now is not what you're supposed to be because I am the source of creation and I know exactly what you're supposed to be and you are not that. And I wish you were cold or hot. In other words, he's saying, I wish you were exactly who you're supposed to be, but you're not who you're supposed to be, and that reality makes me ill. 
Here's what I want us to understand about this statement. Jesus is saying that when we are not who he created us to be, it makes him ill. Do you know that Jesus has just conveyed to you how much he wants you to be who you're supposed to be? How much he wants you to be who you were created to be? How much he cares about you growing to become exactly who he intends you to be? He doesn't want you to stay where you're not supposed to be. The thought of you remaining in a position where you are not who you're supposed to be to the one who created you. The thought of you not being who you've been created to be by Jesus Christ makes Jesus Christ ill. He wants you to become who you're supposed to be. So much so that he conveys his desire for you by saying when you're not right, when you're not who you're supposed to be, when you're not who I created you to be, I feel ill. I want you to be who you're made to be. That's what I want for you. That's what Jesus is telling us. Interestingly enough, if you were to be in the area of modern day Turkey where Laodicea and Hierapolis and Colossae were in the Lycus River Valley in the day of Revelation, you would know that when you got a drink of water in Laodicea, the water in Laodicea was renowned to be tepid and lukewarm and nasty to the taste, so much so that when you took a drink of it, you'd want to spit it out. Anybody ever drank city water like that? Well water that's a little bit jippy. You ever have that? Just want to spit it out? That's what it had been like in Laodicea. But, but in Hierapolis, they had hot springs that came out of the ground and created a terrace across a large hillside of hot water flowing over these terraces that were colored white by the minerals. If you look at it today, it looks like snow. It's beautiful. And they had these baths where people would get in the hot water from these hot springs, believing that they would have healing properties. And that was just right down the road in a city close to Laodicea, these hot springs. The other way down the road in Colossae, there was a hillside where out of that hill came this rushing spring of ice-cold water that was renowned to be the most tasty water in the entire region. Jesus says to Laodicea, you're lukewarm. I would really rather you be hot or cold. I made you. I know what you're supposed to be. You're not that right now. And when I see you not living the way I made you to live, it bothers me so much that it makes me sick. I want you to be like I made you to be. Let's look at what else he says. Verse 17. Because you say that I am wealthy and have become rich and have no need for anyone, but you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor 
and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold which has been refined in the fire so that you might be truly rich. And white garments so that you might clothe yourselves and the shame of your nakedness might not be revealed. And I salve. You can rub on your eyes so that you might see. Jesus says of the church at Laodicea, you really think that you're doing great. You think you are all that and more. But the reality is, you're far more broken than you can imagine. You're far more impoverished than you can see. And I who made you and see what is definitive about what is and telling you what you really are. And you are more broken than you can fathom. So I want you to come to me and buy from me what you really need. He's saying to them, you think you're wealthy, you think you got it together, but I'm telling you, I see what really is. And here's the definitive word about you. You are broken. And you need me more than you can imagine. But here's the thing. I'm offering you an opportunity to come and buy from me exactly what you need. I have wealth that you need. I have the clothes, the purity, the righteousness that you need. I have what will enable you to see what really is because I am the source of who you are supposed to be. You you know what's far worse than not being who we're supposed to be? It's thinking that we are everything we're supposed to be and more. Years ago, I had the opportunity to coach Little League. Any of you ever coached Little League before? The, the kids that you coach are never the problem. You know what I'm talking about. It's the parents that are the problem. And as a coach, you've got to deal with all kinds of issues with parents, Right? At the first of every season, I would say to the parents, I'd say, hey, you may not know this, but I'm a, a pastor in our, in our community. And so here's the thing. I've taken a lot worse than what you can dish out. <laughs> so have at it. All season long, whatever you want to tell me, it's not going to faze me. I, I pastor a church. I got no problems with you. And so, you know, occasionally there could be parents who would come to me. And inevitably, the, the most difficult parent was the one who believed that their child was the greatest player on the face of the earth. Greatest player in the league, greatest player on the team. And when I would make decisions about playing time and positions and batting order, the parent would then come to me and tell me why their child needed to be in the number four slot. Why their child needed to be playing shortstop. Why their child needed to be playing every inning and every other child needed to be sitting out while their child was the star. And it was really interesting when the parents who did that came and told me that And it just became really apparent they had no clue just how bad their kid was. (laughs) I mean, do they see the statistics that the kid has gotten one hit all season? I mean, it's unbelievable to me how many times parents were so deluded in thinking their kid was the greatest player in the world and their kid was actually one of the worst kids in the league. And you just couldn't deal with that parent no matter what. They were not happy with anything you did. And, And the problem was, 
Not that their kid wasn't a great baseball player. That's not the problem. Not every kid can be a great baseball player. That's fine. The problem was they couldn't see it. Just, there's just nothing worse for us as members of the body of Christ than to believe we're far better than what we really are. And Jesus doesn't want his church to live like that. Because you see, if we believe we are far better than we really are, we won't see a clear path to who we're supposed to be. Because we think we're already there. And we won't be willing to let Jesus tell us otherwise. It's simply far better to let Jesus, who knows us inside and out, knows every thought, every intention, every action of your life, who knows us to tell us where we really are and who we really are and how broken we really are and how poor we really are and how impoverished spiritually we really are and then to tell us, when I see you like that, it makes me sick because I don't want you to live like that. I want you to be who I made you to be. So don't think you're something that you're not. Just go ahead and recognize you're exactly who I see that you are. But that because I made you and I know who you're supposed to be, I've offered you a chance to come and find the path to who you're supposed to be. So will you come and will you buy from me what will make you truly rich? Will you receive from me the righteousness that will really clean you up? And will you accept what I have to say so that you will really see? I think it's really interesting that the Apostle Paul was walking down a road when he was called Saul. And he believed he was better than most everybody else around him. He believed he was one of the strongest students in his religious classes. He believed that he had the most promise of anybody around him, that he would be the most powerful, the most significant, the most absolute, wonderful leader that his religion had ever seen until he met Jesus. And when he met Jesus on that road to Damascus, he realized just how broken he was. In 1 Timothy, he describes his brokenness and he says that I am the chief of sinners. This guy who believed there was nothing wrong with him, when he met Jesus face to face, realized that the truth was there was nobody more wrong in the face of the earth than him. Nobody. And what he discovered was that accepting what Jesus saw in him was the greatest path of restoration to become who he is really supposed to be. And Paul says that Jesus rescued me so that from this point forward, everybody could see Jesus' restoration of me as a reason to believe Jesus has the patience to restore you. He's invited you into restoration. But none of us will go there if we don't first accept what he says about each one of us. We are broken and we need 
him to restore us. Now what's really interesting is that Jesus says to the church at Laodicea, you think that you're rich, but you are absolutely poor. You got nothing at all. So here's my suggestion. Won't you come and buy from me what you need? What? You just said I have nothing. I'm poor. How am I going to buy anything? Isn't that interesting? Come and buy from me what you need. But by the way, you got nothing to buy it with. Okay. So Jesus, what is this going to cost me? The reason Jesus says I want you to come and buy from me what you really need is because Jesus already paid the price for bringing us into the journey of restoring us to who we're supposed to be. He went to the cross for each one of us. He paid the price of his very life so that he might invite us into restoration. But there's still a cost involved here. And I want you to see the cost. If if you want to come to Jesus and enter the journey of restoration, becoming who you're supposed to be, here's the cost. Verse 19. Those I love, I reprove and I discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. There's your first price. Those I love, I reprove and I discipline. Do you hear what he's saying? He said, those I love, I show what's not right in them so that they can then see a way forward into who they are supposed to be. Therefore, be zealous and repent. What he's saying here is, don't think that what you thought about yourself is as trustworthy as what I know about you. Instead, accept what I know about you, that you are broken and that I'm the only one that has what you need and you come to me and I will guide you along the way, showing you and unveiling to you how it is you need to respond to me and walk with me as a father does his child. I will discipline you into the good path of restoration. But I only do that for those I love. So so what's the cost? Let Jesus love you. Let him love you. Just say, Jesus, I need you to love me. I am not who I'm supposed to be yet. And I need you to love me along the way enough to restore me to who you are. I want you to love me like that. And so I invite you to to discipline me. I invite you to reprove me and convict me where it is you see that I am falling short. I want you to unveil that to the world so that they might see one who is restored to who he is supposed to be. I just need you to love me. I want to let you do that. Whatever that looks like, I want to let you bring reproof into my life and discipline I want you to bring me through the journey of repentance. Do you know what repentance is? It's one of the greatest gifts that God has offered us in light of the death of Christ. Jesus Christ has offered us a change of heart and mind that reorients us to following him at the time when we need it most and we least deserve it. That's repentance. 
It's when you are at your most needy moment for the grace of God and you least deserve his grace that he comes in and says, I am here for you. And me seeing you where you are makes me so ill inside that I want to move you from that place closer to who I made you to be. Will you let me love you? Look at what he describes the situation in verse 20. He says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. Jesus describes this scenario as if he were at the door of your life, knocking on that door, saying, I'm ready to come in. When you live a life and you act like you are not who you really are, you pretend you're something better than who you really are apart from me, it's like you shut the door to my work in your life and I'm here knocking. I'm not barging my way in. I'm knocking. I'm not knocking you down. I'm waiting for you to open the door. But the moment you open the door to me, I will come in and I will sit and have a meal with you. And what I'm going to be doing in your life to restore you to who you're supposed to be is akin to a meal with close friends. Several months ago, I had the privilege of eating a lunch with a friend of mine. We've been best friends since the third grade. And he lives in Lampasas and he was coming into town and we grabbed lunch together and it just so happened that our other best friend, we've been best friends since the eighth grade, was in the area. He lives in Tennessee, but he happened to be here for a family wedding the same time we coordinated our schedules and we got together and ate lunch right here in Georgetown. And the moment we walked in together and sat down, it was like we picked up from 25 years ago. We walked in the Lord. We challenged each other through our teenage years to seek after Christ. We made a lot of stupid mistakes together and repented along the way together. We have so much history and we sat down and talked. The hours just flew by because it was one of those moments of intimate friendship that brought a warmness to your heart that challenged you to live your life for Christ. I loved every minute of it. And what Jesus is saying is I'm knocking at the door of your life. I know who you really are. I know what you think, I know what you do, I know what you intend, I know the evil in your heart, but here's the deal, I'm knocking at your heart and I want to come in and I want to so guide you to who you're supposed to be that the experience of that feels like a, a, fr a friend dinner of intimacy and closeness. Will you let me in? Will you let me in? For those who let him in, he's speaking to the church. For those of us who let him in and let him work on our brokenness so that we become more and more who we're supposed to be day after day, he has a promise. Look at verse 21. The one who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit on my throne with me. Just as I also overcame and sat with my father on his throne. The one who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You know what Jesus says? He says, if you let me come into your life and restore you day after day to who you're supposed to be, 
because you allow me to show you your sin and brokenness and where you need me to fix you and bring you along, then someday I'm going to come again and you will be exactly who you're supposed to be and more forever beyond your imagination. He's going to restore us. We just shouldn't miss out on every taste and glimpse of that restoration along the way. Because every moment we miss out on what Jesus wants to do for us is a moment we grieve the heart of Jesus. He wants us tasting restoration all the way. You know, in Laodicea, there was an earthquake. It destroyed the city and several cities in that area. Laodicea didn't need help rebuilding because they had plenty of money. All the other cities around them needed Rome to come alongside and help them. Not Laodicea. They didn't need a thing. There's nothing wrong with that for Laodicea. There's everything wrong with that with you and me. The earthquake of sin has broken us all. And we can't put it together without each other running together to Jesus Christ. I do not want to be a pastor who stands up here week after week and acts like I'm not as broken as I really am. I would propose to you there's nothing worse that you could ever have than a pastor who acts like he is better than he really is. I don't want us to be a church who acts like we are better than we are, but that as a people, we know just how deficient we are apart from Christ and we let him so work in us that he restores us more and more to who we're supposed to be and we are a true lampstand in this community of the hope and restoration of Jesus Christ. That is who I want to be. That is who I want us to be. And Jesus is inviting us to respond to him. He's knocking.